Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks, so congratulations to the Golden State, not the Celtics, on winning the NBA championship. We are now officially right smack dab in the eye of the NBA offseason storm. And if you're looking for some comprehensive Lakers slash NBA free agency coverage, well, you've come to the right podcast place. If you haven't yet checked it out, make sure to catch our free agency mega deep dive with Hoops Hype salary cap expert Yazzie Goslin in episode number 420, Lowering the Bargain, for all of your offseason minutia needs. After that, make sure to also tap into number 418, Stranger Wings, where Alan and I look at nine cheap, under-the-radar dark horse wings the Lakers should target. Number 417, Maximize the Minimum, where Tommy and I rank our top veteran minimum targets position by position. Number 415, Mid-Market, where Tommy and I rank our top mid-level targets by position. Number 414, Wing-Lose Situation, where Tommy and I scan the barren wing market and talk about some THT trades for wings instead. And then lastly, number 413, Market Canvassing, where Tommy and I take a more macro look at the front office and outline what we hope they'll change philosophy-wise in order to come out of this offseason with a much more competent and intuitive roster. So that's six different podcast episodes covering different aspects of the offseason and free agency. I don't think you'll find a more comprehensive and deep-cutty free agency outlook elsewhere. I mean, my God, we were talking about Abdel Nader, Zaire Smith, and Bruno Caboclo. So anyways, if you appreciate all of the free agency content we've been pumping out this offseason, we would also please like to ask you to take a moment to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. It truly helps out a lot, and most importantly, it lets us know that this type of content is insightful and informative and that we should keep producing this content on a consistent basis. But yeah, with that said, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for your support. And now, on with the showtime.
All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where first round is the worst, second round is the best, and undrafted free agents are the Lakers treasure chests. Or at least that's what... (laughs) Or at least that's what the Lakers are banking on once again heading into the 2022 draft because they don't got a first-round pick or a second-round pick. Their first-round pick is going to the Pelicans at number eight. Womp, womp. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tommy Alexander and Alan Riley. Tommy, are you ready for the 2022nd NBA draft? Yeah! (laughs) Alan... Are you ready to go buck wild on the undrafted free agency market? Woo! <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, Juzang sanity, here we come. Okay, so this is going to be a quick micropod on the NBA draft and the Lakers' position. Um, maybe getting a second round pick, probably signing some undrafted free agency guys to play in their summer league and into training camp. But for obvious reasons, we're not going to delve too deeply into the draft like we usually do. But some quick points of note about this draft. Only 58 players are being drafted because picks number 54 and 55 have been forfeited due to tampering. I believe those are the Bucks and the Heat picks. So technically, you could say the Lakers have the 59th and 60th pick because only 58 players are getting picked. Um, And then with regards to the prospects in this draft, this draft, at least for me personally, seems more backloaded in the second round into undrafted free agency with a bunch of guys who are 6'6 plus with 7 foot wingspans, more so than I can remember in recent history, which obviously benefits the Lakers, who sorely need any lanky wings with athleticism they can find. Now, maybe it's loaded with a lot of these dudes in the second round to undrafted free agency because they're all bad, or they're all middling Seku Demboya types. But at the very least, you won't be short of physical clay to mold with. And some of these guys actually have some shooting and skill mixed in there as well. Um, Tommy, do you have any quick macro thoughts on the second round to undrafted free agency class of this draft? And are you glad the Lakers seem to be going full force into really, really excavating the second round and the UDFA class this year? And... I feel like they've almost been too overcompensating and vocal about it. Um, A lot of that due to probably optics and being extra vocal out of embarrassment and necessity after throwing picks away the last few years and not giving the best part of their organization, i.e. the scouts, the best tools to help uplift the team. But they've seemingly brought around six prospects to work out every day, five of whom are typically not even ranked in the second round. So it's clear they are leaving no stone unturned. So yeah, your quick thoughts on one of the most active drafts the Lakers have been a part of despite not actually having a pick yet. Yeah, it's it's interesting because although we've had the change, you know, with the coach and uh, you know, some anticipated roster changes are coming up. The people making these decisions are the same people that have been around for like the last three years. So it's sort of interesting. Like you would have expected this sort of maybe not outward showmanship and, you know, talking about it so much, but you would have ex- expected this result to happen last year. You know, it's like we made the big home run trade for Russ. Our roster was completely depleted. I mean, it was like we were literally back in like Anthony Davis trade time land where it was like we had three guys essentially on the team, a few, you know, stragglers like THT and whatever. But 
we needed to build a completely new team from the ground up and they didn't do anything. I mean, like they ended up getting Austin Reeves as an undrafted guy and they gave him like the 15th guaranteed or 14th guaranteed contract right before training camp last year. But, you know, we sat around (laughs) texting each other throughout the entire draft last year and we saw guys who seemed like they could have been helpful can fly off the board and it just didn't really seem like, you know, that, that they were thinking this way. And, and so I, you know, to your point, it does seem like at least outwardly, there's been a very strong overcorrection uh, on that front this year. So in terms of, you know, I guess whether I'm excited or what I'm expecting, I don't really know because this front office has shown multiple times that they're not necessarily going to do what they say, Um, you know, throughout the whole season last year, Athletic wing depth was a just glaring need from the moment we tipped off in the preseason. And then you had Trevor Reza, who's 97 years old, get injured in the preseason and, you know, seemed to be out for a significant amount of time. And still no effort was made to address it. And then finally, it's like we signed Stanley Johnson off the street and he ends up being like one of our best players like to close out the second half of the season. So, you know, maybe not best, but certainly like impactful, at least on the defensive end. So, you know... It, if they, it's nice to say all this stuff, but the question is, are they going to actually seek to address this sort of thing? And and then I guess my second sort of fear is even to the extent they do address this issue, building for the future is great. Um, but are we, is the intention that we're hoping to draft guys or pick up undrafted guys who are going to help us like this year or like in a playoff run? Because Austin Reeves was, you, everyone can point to him and, and that was a great find. And he actually was one of our best players last year. Um, but like, what are the chances you do that two years in a row? Right. And, and, you know, for every Austin Reeves, you get like um, a THT or, you know, a, uh, maybe a, I'm trying to think of, just in the sense, not in the sense that these are bad prospects, but like maybe solid, actually really solid well, prospects not, not for the second for round, guys basketball. who are not ready to play, you know, THT as a rookie was not ready to play in the NBA playoffs. So, sure. so that's why I'm sort of hedging my excitement until we actually see what happens, I guess. Yeah, I know that's fair. Um, Alan, I had I had you look at some prospects. Were you surprised that a majority of them were all guys who are like six seven and had length, and they were all pretty much considered they could be undrafted, they could be second round. So, what are your thoughts on? Hey, this seems like an interesting class in the sense that typically those types of players are hard to come by anywhere, whether it's NBA free agency, whether it's the draft or whatever. But we're sort of in this weird spot where we may not have a pick, but we may get a guy with size. Yeah, um, the list of guys that you sent me, these prospects, uh, are super versatile, right? And I think that they meet a lot of the, the needs that we have. It's everything that Tommy just talked about, about having athletic wings, right? Um, so the fact that they check a lot of the boxes, at least at the college level, right, of being able to knock down a wide-open three-point shot, just a catch-and-shoot, we're not even asking you to do anything crazy, stand in the corner, hit it, right? Um defensively, uh, just stay in front of your man, right? And the fact that a lot of the guys that, uh, you know, we've kind of looked at recently, they can, you know, switch, right? They are these like six, 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 seven guys. They could guard, you know, smaller guards. They can guard bigger guys as well. Uh, so 
knowing that some of them might not even get drafted and then they get invited to training camps later on uh, to try to find a spot somewhere, um, I think that there there is a lot of, of talent out there. There's a lot of depth. There's an opportunity for the Lakers to capitalize. And like Tommy said, we hope they capitalize. All right, so let's talk about the Lakers aggressively trying to buy slash trade for a second round pick. Um, they've It's been much publicized and it's weird that they've done it so so vocally before the draft usually we just hear about it during the night of the draft right but it's like they've they've been saying that they've wanted a second round pick you know for like the last three weeks or so now the lakers have 4.7 million to use in that venture and they can also trade one of their 2023 second rounders of which they have two to get a pick this year Uh, tht for reference was bought from orlando for 2.2 million and they also traded the lakers also traded their 2020 second round pick that pick was eventually traded to Philly, and Philly drafted Paul Reed with with the Lakers' number 58th pick in 2020. So if the Lakers trade one of their 2023 second-round picks plus $4.7 million, or maybe even half of that, I think they'll be able to buy into the second round because some teams have roster crunches that they have to account for. Some of these tank teams have been accumulating picks and picks and picks, and now they're like, what the heck do we do? There's only 15 roster spots. So we're going to play a quick game of... Here are the teams with multiple picks. I'm going to have Alan and Tommy just decide and guesstimate which pick from which team the Lakers will trade for. So here are the teams with multiple picks in this year's draft. The Charlotte Hornets have number 13, number 15, and number 45. Number 45 obviously being the pick worth mentioning as far as the Lakers are concerned. Minnesota has picks number 19, number 40, number 48, number 50. They have four picks, three in the second round. OKC, they have number two, number 12, number 34. They also had pick number 30, but they traded that to the Denver Nuggets for Jermichael Green. Now, Palinka obviously has some history trading with the OKC Thunder. He traded Danny Green and a first-round pick for Dennis Schroeder. That's Schroeder. actually less picks than I thought it was. That's what I thought too, dude. I thought it was going to be a laundry list. <laughs> it is list. coming the next few years for sure still. Cleveland has number 14, number 39, number 58. Now that 58th pick could be considered number 56 because we forfeited two picks, so keep that in mind. Palenka also has a history of trading with the Cavs and Kobe Kobe Altman. Indiana has number 6, number 31, and number 60. Number 60 is like getting the 58th pick. Golden State has number 28, number 51, number 57. Golden State, as you know, they already have Wiseman, Moody, and Kaminga to worry about, so I really don't know if they need those second-round second rounders or even their first-rounder, to be honest. Orlando, number one, number 32, and number 35. Palinka also has a history of trading with Orlando. They got THT uh, with Orlando's pick in 2019. Sacramento, number four, number 37, number 49. And then lastly, the Portland Trailblazers have number 7, number 36, and number 59. Jake L. Fisher has also reported that the Atlanta Hawks, who have the 44th pick, and the Detroit Pistons, who have the 46th pick, have been rumored to be willing to make those picks available to anybody that's interested. So the Lakers could definitely look at maybe those picks in the second round. 44 and 46 from Atlanta and the Pistons. So, Tommy, let's start with you. There's no deep analysis to this, but which give me your best guess on which team we're trading with and what specific pick we're getting. I think we're going to trade with uh, Minnesota. They have three second rounders, if I heard you correctly. Mm-hmm. 40, 48, and 50. And I think maybe 48 or 
I may, I guess, even maybe I, I think forty eight makes more sense. I feel like you tend to see people buy in, not necessarily like in that thirty, like late thirties to late forties ish range, maybe because early, like early second, especially in a draft like this, is essentially a first, right? So mm-hmm. it, the, there's pretty good depth happening, and then once you start getting to like the late mid to late fifties, it's like okay, I guess you could maybe try to get one of these guys as a undrafted free agent instead of spending the cash. So that would be my guess. Okay. So number 48 or 50 for Minnesota, Alan, what about you? Uh, I mean, that was the exact same logic (laughs) that I had, right? Like, so if you're playing along at home and you're like hoping for certain things to unfold, yeah. Anything in the early thirties is like, that just doesn't make sense for some team to trade that away. Uh, And then like Tommy just said, at some point, you just realize, like, okay, we probably don't even have to waste a draft pick on this particular player that we're eyeing. We'll just invite them after the fact. So uh, anything in that, like, 40s-ish range. And then, of course, teams who have crap ton of picks. I mean, I guess Golden State, like you mentioned with Kaminga and Wiseman, they got some young guys. So why would they, you know, use their late second-round picks? But, sorry, can you remind me of what Golden State second-round picks are again? Uh, 51 and 57. Nah, see, it's like so late though. Like, why would we even want to trade for that? Um, so yeah, I actually, sorry, I don't have a specific team or number the way Tommy did. I think his sounds great. I'm going to piggyback off of him and we can bet on it together. Okay. Tommy, give me a specific pick then 48 or 50 with Minnesota and we will hold you to it. 48. Okay. There you go. If cool. You get I go wrong, 50 because podcast. of Robert Sacre. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I'm going to take a risk here and I have my sights set on us nabbing number 39 from Cleveland, which would be Ooh, out of the ordinary damn. because typically, typically, like you guys mentioned, we, we get someone in the range of 40 to 48, right? But I say number 39 from Cleveland because Cleveland has a very apparent and glaring roster crunch that they have to account for. And they also have to take into account Sexton's upcoming new deal. So they can't have three new players. Now, they could obviously draft an overseas player or whatnot, but I think given Polinka's history working with Kobe Altman on deals before, I'd say Polinka will try and shoot for the stars, especially because he has such a huge lump sum of cash in $4.7 million and can still give Cleveland a future second rounder in 2023. So I'm going with Cleveland, number 39. All right, with that said, let's take it to break. And when we return, we will just touch on any prospects in the second round to undrafted free agency that have piqued our interest. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Hey guys, Jonathan here. So we're going to try out something a little bit new for our episodes. And I'm coming to you now with a mini halftime segment where we will go over one of your guys' fantasy roster builds this free agency season. If you'd like to get in on the fun and have us assess or rate your ideal free agency roster build for the Lakers this summer, then shoot us your seven-man roster build, seven being about the number of open roster spots the Lakers will have to fill out this offseason, give or take. So send us your seven-man roster build with one mini-MLE candidate and six veteran minimum candidates via a five-star Apple Podcast rating and review. And it's as simple as that. So today, before we get back to Tommy and Alan, we are going to quickly go over one of our listeners' submissions. And today's submission comes from Matt, at ZenBoyLakerFan on Twitter, longtime LLP supporter. So Matt sends us his five-star review and says, always enjoyable to hear from one of my go-tos. So, so yeah, short and sweet. Thank you, Matt, for the review. 
Now, for Matt's free agency plan for the Lakers this summer, he did a little more than fill out the seven roster spots rubric that I laid out, but that's okay. I'll try and streamline through his plan anyways. I'll outline all of his transactions first and then give my overall thoughts afterwards. So first, Matt has the Lakers trading Russell Westbrook for Evan Fournier and Julius Randle of the Knicks. Fournier is on for two more years at $18 million per with a club option in 2024-25, and Julius Randle is on for four more years at around $23 million, $25, $27, and $29 million his last year, which is a player option for the 2025-26 season that I think he'll exercise. So Matt has that trade unfolding first. Next, Matt has the Lakers also trading Talon Horton Tucker for Kelly Olynyk straight up. So Olenek is on for this next year and then has a partial guarantee of just $3 million on his $12 million contract during the 2023-24 season. So we've got the Russell Westbrook trade for Evan Fournier and Julius Randle, and then we have a THT trade for Kelly Olenek straight up. As for Matt's free agency roster build, here's how he lined that up. For the mini MLE, the taxpayer mid-level, he has a signing Kyle Anderson, then he has a signing Josh Jackson as his first veteran minimum guy. Danny Green, although Danny Green was uh, has a torn ACL, in a Matt situation, he has Danny Green being cut by Philly because he's on a non-guaranteed $10 million contract. So mini Emily, Kyle Anderson, the veteran minimums go Josh Jackson, Danny Green, PJ Dozier, DeMarcus Cousins, Raul Neto, Javon Carter, and Wes Matthews. Okay, so first off, I think we have one too many free agents here. It should be seven slots total, one mini MLE player, and six veteran minimums. So as it stands, Matt, your full roster with these new acquisitions and signings, the Lakers currently have 16 players. So to make things easier, let's just take Danny Green out of here because he does have a torn ACL and probably won't be playing till 2023, if that. But anyways, here are my quick thoughts on this uh, free agency roster build. First off, with the Russ for Randall and Fournier trade, it's great that we're not giving up any picks in your scenario, but I personally really do not like the thought of Randall on this team. To me, he's just the power forward version of Russell Westbrook, and I don't think there's a situation where he'll be able to thrive next to LeBron James or Anthony Davis. You mentioned him maybe coming off the bench, but to me, that's a non-negotiable. Try convincing a dude in the smack dab of his prime, who's making $25 million, that he should just come off the bench and play defense without the ball in his hands. So I don't really like taking on Randall here. If we can instead swap Randall for Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel or whoever else New York wants to get rid of, I think that would be the better option in my opinion, because taking on Randall is creating a potentially new problem that the Lakers will have to wrestle with till potentially 2026. And I don't want to have to go through that. Now you could say that it's probably easier trading Randall, and if we do need to find a trade partner, we it's probably a lot easier to do that than Russell Westbrook, but I have my doubts. So not really feeling the Randall trade. Um, next, the THT for Kelly Olynyk deal. Now, I don't hate this deal, and it's actually a deal that I proposed to Tommy in a previous episode, and I think in that episode, we also asked for some young capital coming back to us. I think it was Hamadou Diallo in that case. So while I like Kelly Olynyk, I think I'd revise your deal slightly to at least get a Hamadou Diallo or multiple second rounders back. Because while Olynyk is a great fit in Darvin Ham's four out one in system next to AD, 
I think we are still selling very low on THT. So hopefully if we do make this deal, we, re we can recoup some assets as well. Now, with regards to your free agent signings, for the mini MLE, you have us signing Kyle Anderson. That's solid. I like it. Very smart player with length. Though, I think I try and aim for someone with a little bit more athletic upside, but I don't dislike this signing. I also think it might be moot, though, because I think Kyle Anderson's going to earn more than the taxpayer mid-level. But overall, I like the um, signing of Kyle Anderson. For your next veteran minimum signing, you have Josh Jackson, which I get this signing. I like his length and athleticism, 6'8", 6'11", wingspan. I do think there are smarter wing gambles to sign instead, though, like a Utah Watanabe or a Josh Akogi, Troy Brown Jr., or even a Juancho Hernan Gomez. But maybe Darvin Ham can finally unlock Josh Jackson because he's a very strong player who has a pretty good motor when he's engaged. So I get it, but I would hope for maybe a smarter gamble. Uh, free agent number two for the veteran minimum, you have Danny Green. Again, we don't need to be signing Danny Green at all to waste a roster spot. He won't be ready till 2023, and by that point, he'll at best be a buyout market, last-minute playoff run edition sort of guy. So let's not even think about Danny Green. Your next veteran minimum signing, PJ Dozier. Love this signing. You've clearly been listening to our podcast because Dozier is a dark horse wing that we sort of helped bring back into the Lakers zeitgeist and consciousness this offseason, and I think he'd be a great gamble if he's healthy. Next veteran minimum signing, you have DeMarcus Cousins. I love this signing as well. He has experience playing with Darvin Ham during his stint with the Bucks last year. He would fit perfectly in Darvin Ham's four-out, one-in system. And DeMarcus Cousins has also done the Twin Towers thing with AD as well in New Orleans, and obviously has experience with the Lakers organization, so I like the DeMarcus Cousins signing if he can hold up. Next veteran minimum signing, you have Raul Neto. So, he's a solid backup point guard, but I'm a bit lukewarm on this one. I think I would rather take a younger, higher upside flyer than Raul Neto. This is where I'd put like a Dante Exum, Josh Akogi, or Troy Brown Jr. Um... Your next veteran minimum signing is Javon Carter. Love it. He has experience with Darvin Ham. Great point of attack defender. Still pretty young. And then lastly, your last veteran minimum signing is former Laker Wes Matthews. Love it if he's willing to come back to the Lakers and experience a reunion with this organization. He obviously has experience with Darvin Ham. Uh, clearly still has a lot of defensive grit left in the tank. So, so yeah, let's get a Wes Matthews times Lakers redemption story. So yeah, those are my off-the-cuff thoughts on Matt's free agency roster build. It's a solid roster overall, and I can see your line of thinking, Matt. I would just personally stray away from the Julius Randle trade and maybe try to upgrade that Raul Neto and Josh Jackson spot. But otherwise, that's a roster I could roll with this upcoming season. All right, so... I hope you guys enjoyed that short Halftime Lakers Fantasy GM segment. If you want me to review your roster, again, please send us your seven-man roster build. That's one mini MLE spot and six veteran minimum spots. And send it via a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. And I will assess your roster just like I did this one in a future segment or episode. So yeah, with that said, let's get back to Tommy and Alan, where we shall talk about some actual NBA draft prospects who we have our eyes set on. All right, so we're back. Um, Tommy, are there any prospects that you, you've been eyeing in this draft for the Lakers to maybe nab with the number 39th pick, the number 48th pick, or even just undrafted free agency? And we don't have to go too deeply into these player profiles and whatnot. So give me like two names that have intrigued you. 
Yeah, most so uh, you guys have probably done a lot more scouting of these guys than I have. So most of my, I guess, quote unquote scouting was just watching the you know tournament this past year. But the two guys that really over the last or certainly this past tournament impressed me, and over the last couple seasons are the UCLA guys, uh, Bernard and Johnny Juzang. Mm-hmm. First of all, I love saying the name Johnny Juzang. So that's like a huge <laughs> factor. And I would love to continue to say that name. So I, I'm kind of rooting for him. I know these guys are, at least, I don't actually know where Bernard is slated, but I know Juzang is kind of trending towards undrafted. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly last year, and I know the UCLA team was sort of dealing with a lot of injuries and COVID related issues and whatnot this year, but. Last year in the tournament, Johnny Juzang was just like a complete beast. And he wasn't bad this year. It's just like I mentioned, they they were having some other issues. And I guess like the one thing that really stood out to me is in these games that mattered the most, particularly last year, he never shied away from the pressure. And he's had like multiple years now of, um, you know, time. I forget their coach's name, Alan. You probably know him, the uh, head coach's name. Uh, Mick Cronin. Yeah, under Cronin to just like really, really become a strong defender. I mean, that defense that UCLA has been playing the last couple seasons has just been insane. So I kind of trust him a little bit defensively and offense. You know, any player needs to kind of adjust to the NBA, but the skill set that he showed last year in the tournament, I mean, eventually he'll get there. So I, I really like him as, as a long-term prospect, but that's just based on, you know, not based on measurements, not based on combine, not based on any of that sort of stuff, just based on sort of the eye test, I guess. No, I mean, I like Johnny Juzang too. I, I like your point about him coming up. About being able to say his name. <laughs> no, not that, one, that part. I mean, that, that's just like cherry on top of the sundae and the fact that he's half Vietnamese. But no, he is a bucket. He has a very, very nice jump shot. It's pretty much textbook form. It's just about can he shoot at a high efficiency? Can he get good shots, et cetera, et cetera. But I think for both Juzang and Bernard, they have very fluid offensive games. And if you watch Jules Bernard, He's almost like D'Angelo Russell-esque in the way that he snakes in the lane. And I know it's like low-hanging fruit that they're both left-handed, but really, their games are pretty similar. He doesn't have like the, you know, snazzy passing skills that D'Angelo does, but in terms of like pull-up mid-range jump jump shot or hitting a three under the screen or whatever, I feel like a lot of those traits Jules Bernard shares with D'Angelo Russell, I think for the both of them, it's going to be can they... Do they have the strength to hold up in the NBA? Because I think as isolation scorers, I think Jules Bernard is more crafty and Johnny Juzang is more of a, I think what he's going to become in the NBA is more like a Bryn Forbes, maybe like a Joe Harris type guy, unless he can get his handles together, gain more separation. I think one of his biggest problems was he dribbled the ball a lot, but not really be able to get separation against his man. I think that's only going to be more exposed in the NBA. So unless he can really strengthen up or whatever, I see him more as a shooting specialist, whereas Jules Bernard has nice size. I think they're both like 6'5", 6'6", right? Um, So they have good size. It's about can they fill out their frame. But yeah, I like both of them. Now, Alan, I had you look at a couple prospects. I'll lay out their templates really quickly, and then you can just talk about them in conjunction or even just single out a particular player. I had you look at Vince Williams Jr. out of VCU. He's 21 years old, 6'6", with a 7-foot wingspan, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 39% from 3-point land, 2.23s made per game. 
1.6 steals, 1.1 blocks. Um, to me, he kind of looked like a taller Stanley Johnson with a three-point shot. He's left-handed, though. Um, but yeah, really solid guy. And then we've got Keon Ellis, a lot of uh, a particular prospect that a lot of Lakers Nation has been sort of high about. Um, he's six foot five, although without shoes, he's like six foot three, and he measured out with a six foot nine wingspan, so kind of shorter than people expected um, when he measured out in the combine. But still, twelve points, six rebounds, two steals, thirty six percent from three, hitting two a game, eighty eight percent from the from the stripe. Um, versatile movement shooter, but his thing is he's a tremendous defender, all SEC defender, good in transition and finishing. Kind of describe him as like a taller Patrick Beverly, very scrappy defender, uh, pretty athletic, and again, can shoot the three ball. And then Justin Lewis um, from Marquette, six foot seven with a seven foot two wingspan, 17 points, eight rebounds, 1.7 assists, 1.8 threes made per game. He's a chonky dude with a who's, who's pretty thick with a two C's. But in spite of that, he can really handle the ball, uh, can drive it into the lane, can hit the three-point shot. I describe him as like Julius Randle plus Grant Williams. Um, or if you fuse THT with Randle and gave him a three-point shot, you maybe get Justin <laughs> Lewis. Um, but yeah, Alan, out of Vince Williams Jr., Keon Ellis, and Justin Lewis, what do you have to say about those trio? And did anyone in particular stand out? Yeah, no, that was a really good uh, summary of what each of the guys, you know, brings to the table. Uh, I'm pretty high on Vince Williams Jr. Um, Mm -hmm. I think uh, his catch-and-shoot threes really stand out to me. Um, It's really consistent, like, mechanics. Um, Never looks rushed or anything like that. And he could shoot from NBA range. Um, A lot of um, his shots were well beyond the college three-point line, and it doesn't look like it's requiring much effort because he's got a lot of strength. Um, he can also, you know, shoot off the dribble and like kind of create for himself. I've seen a few like step back three pointers as well. Mm-hmm. So again, that alludes, I, I think like the strength that he possesses, um, defensively, he's pretty impressive too. Um, I, I think that he has good instincts, plays passing lanes really well, just gets his hand in there and he's really good at running the break. Uh, he's great in transition and filling those lanes and, you know, uh, Darvin Ham has talked a lot about their running principles and schemes and things like that. So I think, uh, he could fit in when it comes to those things. Um, pretty bouncy too. Wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. expecting that. Um, I think he could be a great lob threat again in transition. Um, and I know that, uh, on Twitter you were like, oh, he's kind of like a Stanley Johnson. I was like, is it just cause he wears a t-shirt <laughs> like under, like a really <laughs> baggy white t-shirt under his jersey? But to be honest, like, I thought the same thing. I was like, yo, this guy looks like Stanley Johnson. I was like, I think it's just the attire, but actually, like, I think their physique as well. Like, yes. um, yeah, like they're pretty, like really built, um, like big tree trunk, you know, type calves. Um, but uh, I think that he has, yeah, like a, a more polished, you know, offensive game, a little bit more reliable. So really liked Vince Williams. Jr. I think he's at the top of my list, actually. Um, nice. So, yeah, I, I won't talk too long about the other two guys. But Keon mm-hmm. Ellis, it's everything that you said. He is really scrappy. And um, I think that he plays angles really well. He knows how to position his body. Um, and he, he's really light on his feet. Um, but the size could be a bit of an issue. Maybe he's, he's got to get stronger, you know? So initially he was like list unofficially listed at six, seven. I was like, oh yeah, sign me up. And then he measured out in the combine as six, three without shoes. And I'm like, oh, that kind of dampens my excitement a little bit. But you know, if you frame it in 
well, what if you're getting the net next Patrick Beverly? Then you're like, okay, that makes sense. But I, I'm just saying if he was two inches taller, I think we would be both be more excited and hyped. But yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree with you there. Um, and yeah, I think that um, he's also like more of a playmaker. You know, he can create for himself. He can, you know, go off the dribble. He has a nice Euro step, actually. I feel like in college, you don't see that from a ton of players, um, that type of development. And then uh, Justin Lewis, he talked about him a little bit as well. Big dude. Um, I, mm-hmm. I do like the uh, Grant Williams comp, um, but way more athletic. Like, he's actually really yeah, good in yeah. the dunker spot. Um, I feel like he knows how to, like, fill space in the lane. And um, it's like guys get out of the way <laughs> when he elevates. Yeah. So he, he's really strong. Um, yeah, I like his game too. But if I had to pick one guy that I'm rooting for, it's probably Vince Williams Jr. He's 21 years old, you said, so a little bit of an older dude, right? A little more experienced. Um, just, you know, not to follow the tempo of, okay, there's Alex Caruso and, you know, there's Austin Reeves and whatever, but like they are guys with more experience, right? That's a big reason why they're probably late second round or falling out of the draft altogether. But, um, we have this propensity, right? To like find guys like that. So, uh, kind of what Tommy said too, like, are we looking to build for the future or these guys who can contribute now? I mean, shit, like we could watch these videos and be like, oh, I can totally see this dude like getting meaningful minutes. Like, Hell, we don't know, right? Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I agree with you. And Justin Lewis has a bit, a little bit of James Johnson in there as well in terms of the thick frame and athleticism. One guy I really like is Jabari Parker from Colorado, 19 years old, six foot eight with a seven foot Wait, what happened? Wait, what's going on? No, he said Jabari Parker. So it just... Oh, shit. Sorry. My bad. Okay. I always do this. I meant to Born say Jabari. Jabari, Jabari Walker from You're Colorado. You're obsessed with Jabari Parker, fam. You always have been. You won't let him go. This is not true. Do not listen to Tommy. Okay, I'm talking about Jabari Walker, Colorado, 19 years old, six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan, 14.6 points, 9.4 rebounds, 0.7 steals, 0.7 blocks, 1.13 is made per game, 34.6% from three. I don't know if this guy's the next poor man's OG Ananubi or the next Sekou Demboya. It could be anywhere in between. I just know that the dude is very physical and his advanced defensive instincts are elite. So I'm not talking about Jabari Walk Jabari Parker. <laughs> I'm talking about Jabari Walker. So we also keep him need in to mind. find you. We need to find you another comp for a bust. Wings and so you don't say Seiku every single sorry. time. Sorry, I just latched onto Seiku's, and I'm so sorry, Seiku. You didn't even get a fair shot on this team. You probably would have fared very well this year if you had gotten yeah, a shot. But yes, honestly. Um, so Jabari Walker is a guy that I like. Jabari, Keon, Justin, and Vince are actually guys who may be in the second round. Some other names to keep a lookout for who may be undrafted would be Gabe Brown out of Michigan State, six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan. Tommy, how would you like a GP two who is who had three more inches on him and a three uh, and a legit three point shot? Does that sound good to you? It sounds that sounds fantastic. Well, that's Gabe Brown. Maybe <laughs> that's his highest upside. Uh, and then also keep a lookout for Julian Chum. Champani? Champagne? Champagne? <laughs> uh, his, his brother Justin is on the Raptors. Julian Champagne. I'll say Champagne. From St. John's, six foot seven with a six foot ten wingspan. He kind of reminds me of Cody Martin and Caleb Martin. <laughs> and uh, kind of looks like Lonzo in his step back threes. And a little bit of Jason Tatum. Um, and then also look out for Orlando Robinson, 21 years old, Fresno State, seven foot, seven foot four wingspan. 
This guy's either Carl Anthony Towns or Brian Cook, so there's no in between. Um, and nice. then lastly, or Seiko uh, Demboya. Or Seiko Demboya. <laughs> yeah. Lastly, point, Trevion point. Williams, 21 years old, Purdue, six foot ten with a seven foot two wingspan, 265 pounds. He is the best passer in this draft class. Jokic level like passes. He kind of reminds me of Boris Diaw slash James Johnson, molded together. Very nimble and agile on his feet, despite being. 265 pounds uh you'll see yeah. him crossing people over with that big frame of his and you can sort of see shades of uh, zion williamson a little bit can't shoot is more of a post player but he's super unique okay so that's pretty much it but i'd be remiss if i didn't bring this next prospect's name up to all my kababayans sa pilipinas wag kayong mag-alala it's time to talk about the nice. one and only kai soto 21 years old straight out of the philippines Seven foot three with a seven foot five wingspan, played in the G League Ignite with Jalen Green uh, last year, but then withdrew to play an international play with the Philippines. But the pandemic kind of flipped that on its head, so he was kind of left in between. And then this last season, he decided to play professionally in the Australian League for the Adelaide 36ers. Um, he only played 15 minutes per game, likely because he's, he was only a 19 year old, 20 year old um, playing amongst men. But in the 15 minutes, he averaged 7.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, but he did hit 5 of 13 from 3, very low sample size, but that's 38% from 3, averaged 0.8 blocks a game, which is 2 blocks per 36-wise. So my whole thing with Kai Soto is I'm a little scared about the Filipino standhood behind him as the first full-bred, full-born Filipino from the motherland, but you guys will like his uh, nickname. It's a uh, Kaiju. I mean, for, for, for that alone, you know, Kaiju is, you know, Japanese for like big monster, right, Alan, or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for that alone, I think the Lakers should give him a shot or any team should give him a shot. But my whole deal with Kai is that, yes, he's overhyped. Yes, it's the, the Filipino contingent can be a little bit loud on him. And it's almost like Linsanity amplified. I'm a little worried about that. But guys like Taco Fall, Hashim Tabit, Simbular, the guy from India, get drafted all the time off pure basis that they're tall and i feel like kai actually has good touch some passing skill and a workable jump shot so i think he more than deserves to at the very least be on some team's summer league seven foot three kids with seven foot five wingspans don't come along very often even if they're supremely raw and kai can be somewhat clunky and coordinated and he definitely needs to build up his strength but i think that can come with playing in the nba and, and getting the the training staff around him and he's actually got skills so um, maybe he's just a gangly, too frail flop like Scalabissier at the end of the day, or maybe like a bull bull. But I, I feel like you still take a shot with guys with that length and that size. Alan, have you seen a little bit of Kai at all? No, I have not. I didn't have the chance to do a deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Tommy, what about you? I've been spamming your texts with Kai Soto propaganda. He does have a nine foot five standing reach or nine foot six standing reach which i think would have him second in this year's draft class uh behind mark williams but what are your thoughts on kai soda and maybe just even being on some teams uh summer league or training camp oh yeah i think he'll probably anytime you're seven foot two with the seven, with the nine six uh standing reach you're gonna get a look i mean this dude you know it looks like probably a better prospect than um that guy whose name I'm blanking on that the Celtics had floating around for a few years Taco ago, Fall. that giant guy. Taco, Taco Fall. Fall, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like when you're a seven foot two, two thirty two, like he's got he's got a good build that doesn't 
really seem I mean he seems agile he seems like he's got certain he's got traits you could at least work with mm-hmm. um so it wouldn't surprise me to see him it's just you know he's very very much a project player yeah. so you know on a team that is already going to have a number of project players like us um just because of the nature of how our roster is being put together with with the contracts that we have like I, I don't know that we could per se take a shot on somebody like this but yeah. Uh, yeah, he 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 seems like somebody should at least be giving him a shot to maybe take a G League spot next year. For sure. And also the kid is just a hard worker. You have to take into account the intangibles of his situation and his background carrying a whole country on his back trying to be the first Filipino to ever make it into the league. You know, that stuff can put a lot of pressure on a kid, but we'll we'll learn soon enough whether he can rise to the occasion, but you just have to like the amount of hustle that goes behind someone who's trying to trailblaze like that from a country where it's not easy to do this sort of thing. So so there's my part in propping up Kai Soto. I joke with Tommy that we should probably draft all the Asians slash half Asians. So Hyun Jung Lee, uh, the Korean dude out of Davidson who had the first 50-40-90 season in Davidson, even over Steph Curry, who never achieved that feat. So let's draft Hyun Jung Lee. Steph Curry sucks. <laughs> draft Hyun Jung Lee, the six foot seven sniper from Davidson. Draft Kai Soto from the Philippines. Draft Johnny Juzang from UCLA, who's half Vietnamese. And then also maybe Ron Harper Jr., who's half Filipino. Let's just Asian it up right there. Asians forever. Yeah. Okay. Um, Got rice. I'm going to end it right there. <laughs> Got rice. Got rice. <laughs> That's that's what they're going to be playing in the gym when they first introduce the players. Some people definitely catch that who listen to this pod, no doubt. I know, especially <laughs> if you're millennial and you grew up in the early 2000s and are Asian American or around, were around a bunch of Asian Americans like Tommy was. So with that said, that'll do it for our draft thoughts. And the draft is coming up this week, this Thursday. So buckle up. Number 39th pick and number 48th pick for Minnesota. That's what we're staking our claim on. And with that said, Tommy, Alan, I will catch you guys later. Oh, can you guys say peace or something? Peace. Peace. Laters. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. 
When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.